Welcome to Beer Massive, a collection of good beer-centric conversation, interviews, editorials, reviews, and more from a collective of centrally like-minded yet individually opinionated good beer fanatics. From podcasts born in the present, or from our massive library of brewer interviews from years past, we hope you enjoy what you hear. If you do enjoy what you're here, please subscribe. Feel free to reach out to us on social media, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram on tap, at Massive Beers, or email us individually at massivebeers at gmail.com. So you're born in Pittsburgh? Born and raised in Pittsburgh, yes. Do you want a beer? Yes, please. All right. Are you having a beer? <laughs> She's not a beer person. She's a gin person. A gym person? Gin. Oh, gin. So is my wife. Yeah. Have you had uh, the Bar Hill Gin then? Here in Vermont? Not yet. We oh. tried to find, we went to a couple places last oh. night trying to find local stuff. And if just... you are a gin person, then you have not had Bar Hill Gin yet. You owe it to yourself to find That's it. That's crazy. You can get it right at Stowe Beverage right over here. It's outstanding. Um, and I hate gin. But that gin, I love to drink it. It's made from a distilled mead, honey wine. So it's a honey-based gin, and it is dynamite. Can I have to pick some up? The, um, what'd you go to Penn State for? Business logistics. Why? Because um, I wanted to own a business. I wanted to be my own boss. I knew that from very, very early age. Um, before I even went to college, I just knew I just didn't do well with the whole being told what to do thing, but I understood the, the necessity of it. You know, mm -hmm. I wasn't so arrogant to think that I was going to own my own business when I was 22, you know, but, uh, but I knew I had, I didn't know what I wanted to do, but I wanted to be my own boss, you know, and I, and as the years went by, I kind of. You know, I really wanted to do work with my hands. You know, I come from a line like my grandfather was a was a on my dad's side was a butcher, and <laughs> my grandfather on my mom's side was a baker, and so that that um, I needed something tangible at the end of my day. You know, I found that even as when I was young, as much as I hated doing yard work which my dad would make us do like every day. Oh yeah, I know that. Um, I took great satisfaction at the end of the day in it being perfect, you know. And you have that result and it's like, ah, all right, I did that today, you know. So I, I didn't want to do anything like <clears throat> theoretical. I needed to make something and so business it was. And business logistics was the only major that had low enough standards that I was able to get in. <laughs> <laughs> but you got the Penn State though, so that's it's not it's not an easy school to get into. No, but. no, it's not. But uh, but yeah, I picked the major that had a three zero as the cutoff. I had to have a three zero to get in. It might have been lower than that because I didn't graduate with a three zero. Get your foot in the door and go from there. Mm -hmm. The um, what was the? Did you have a job um, that you hated that kind of was a catalyst, or were oh they my all, God. all of them? I mean. Sure, I mean, there's just a laundry list of bad jobs. But, uh, but you know, looking back, even the bad jobs... They shape you, right? They do shape you. They, they certainly shape the kind of bosses that we are and that we want to be. Um, they shape your 
your work ethic. You know, you got to have a strong work ethic to begin and to know what is a waste of time what is it what isn't. I certainly came across many people that you can just tell immediately are going to be toiling away at their job, like whatever it may be, forever. Mm -hmm. You can just tell. Mm -hmm. Do, are they looking to that next thing or are they just like, nah, this is good. Yep. You know, this gets me through the day. And yeah. And I knew right away that that was not me, you know, but sure. I mean, how many, I mean, geez, Jen and I have done terrible jobs for a living cleaning toilets, you know, I mean, from the top to the bottom. You kind of have, like you said, you kind of have to do that. I think to have some kind of perspective. Sure. You know, without good, there's no bad. Without bad, there's no good. Sure. So you have to know the top from the bottom just to go out and work and to learn what life is all about and how to support yourself and then build it from there. Did you guys meet in college? Uh, no, we met at the Vermont Pub and Brewery. Um, okay. Yep. In 1996 we met. Okay. Um, in the spring of 96. Uh, I had moved to Vermont. Um, I was working at the Seven Barrel Brewery down in West Lebanon, New Hampshire. Um, and I would wait tables for the job and then I would work for free in the brewery on my weekends. Okay. Sorry, no, it's all good. Come on, dummy. <laughs> Sounds like her her dog. Not that it more <laughs> cries yeah. a lot instead of uh, scratching, but uh so uh so I would work for free whenever I could. And my boss, Greg Noonan, at the time, um, took notice and offered me the head brewer job at the Vermont Pub and Brewery up in Burlington. Mm -hmm. And so, of course, I took it. And that's where Jen and I met. So I had been there a couple of months and she had worked there and was traveling and then came back. You know, she was gone while I arrived. How'd she end up in Burlington then? From I mean, well, you... she's a she's born and raised in Vermont, so she was oh, okay. born in Brattleboro, raised in Barrie her whole life. Okay, um, was living in Burlington at the time, and it's just it's funny, you know. I mean, the way the timing of when we met with her traveling and me moving to Vermont and just all the things in life that could have sent us in any number of different directions. But at that moment that I was standing at the top of the stairs behind the scenes and the, the, I was up, you know, I was brewing in the basement. I was up getting a drink of water or something, talking to the manager and the kitchen door swung open and she was standing there at the coffee machine, making a batch of coffee, getting ready to start a shift and the door shut. And I was, I distinctly remember turning to Chris, the guy I was talking to and just being like, who was that? And oh, that's Jen Maley. And it was like, oh, <laughs> Jen Maley. And, uh, and so um, soon thereafter, I asked her out on a date and she turned me down because um, <laughs> she was working, you know, she was yeah. working seven days a week and you know, so getting turned down was kind of a bummer, but at the same time, I was like, damn, man, she works seven days a week. How cool is that, you know? Yeah. And, uh, and so I played it cool, and maybe three weeks later, she asked me out. Oh, you sandbagged uh, her a little bit. Yeah, you were just like, eh, whatever, yeah. whatever, whatever. And, uh, and then we were engaged a month later. Not too dissimilar to mm. Lisa and I, you know? Pretty so... It, you know, it's like a lightning strike. How it's long crazy. has it been? 
Uh, we just had our 20th last September. That's awesome, dude. So 21 years married this September. So you guys have been through this through this from the beginning then? Oh my gosh, sure. So, you know, I mean, I was brewing. She wanted to be in the restaurant business. So, you know, we got along just fine. And, of course, immediately start planning and dreaming of owning our own brew pub someday. And so that took... We got married in 97 and we opened The Alchemist in November of 2003. So six years together of working sometimes two, three jobs at a time, moving around, doing different things, having fun, being married. Um, but Wait, all the, you weren't super popular and, and having all this fun from the get-go like everybody <laughs> yeah, thinks? Yeah, um, but constantly working toward what we wanted to do, which was to run a brew pub. So it took a long time, but we saved and saved and saved, and we're constantly shaping a business plan um, so that when we were ready, we were ready, you know? And what was it, um, 13 to 17 at, or 03 to 17 at the old spot? No, we, November of 2003 we opened, and the Irene wiped us out in August of 2011. So, nine, almost nine years. Okay. Yeah, and so when Irene came through and just destroyed the place, that was, that's the whole next chapter, which is when we had started the packaging brewery so yeah. so for all those years at the pub we never packaged our beer we didn't even do growlers um you only got our beer at our pub poured by us and that's it um mostly because at the time the technology didn't exist to properly fill any package uh, filling growlers to what you wanted to what i yeah. needed you yeah. know and so so we just didn't even do the growlers because I knew, I knew mm -hmm. it's not going to be perfect. Unless you take that home, even if we do a great job of filling it, unless you take it home and like drink it that night, it's going to be different. Yeah. The next day, it is going to be drastically different from what it was on tap. So I just wouldn't allow that. So we just didn't do it. And people would, you know, give a shit about it, but it was like sorry you know drink up you're here now so quit complaining and just sit down and enjoy what you have while you're here you know which is a great way to introduce people to the beer especially what you're trying to do i mean the the, the brew pub experience rather than just waiting in line grabbing a beer and taking off and sure it was, drinking. it was creating a community space which is you know what a lot of people that get into that business are trying to accomplish and it was important for us you know we knew we lived here we wanted a cool place to go and hang out. And uh, so we built one. The can, like, um, what, like from the logo to actually doing the can thing, like, how did that happen? Like, at that point, you're, you're procuring 16 ounce cans because that's what you can get. And uh, uh, I mean, like, because at that point, you know, it really wasn't even a thing. Well, it was a. Uh... I mean, the, the idea of the can, there's a couple different topics there. Oh, I didn't even grab a heady topper and bring one up. Um, <laughs> but we had the artwork for a couple of years before we ever put it on anything, you know. We used to just print copies off it and hang it on the walls when we, it would be on tap. Yeah. Um, and so 
you know, we were having those conversations. And so we had had our first couple of craft beers in a can. And the one that really sticks out, there's two. Um, Sierra Nevada Torpedo, which had really just hit the market. And it was in 16-ounce pounders. Mm-hmm. And uh, this other one that really was the tipping point for us was the um, Surly. Maybe it was abrasive that was in a can that somebody sent to us. And so that's what really opened up our eyes to like, wow, we could, Hetty Topper needs to be in a can. Yeah. That's what we need to do. Because it's cool as shit, yeah. but taste how great this IPA tastes. Yeah. You know, that you just... Reducing all the elements that might make it go sideways. Yeah, all those things. Like, there just was no such thing as a great packaged IPA. And I hate to say that because there were some on the market, but, you know, they were fine for what they were, but not what we were trying to accomplish. And that's the distinction, the difference between a great packaged IPA and a great IPA. You're not disparaging the beers at all. You're just talking about, well, you know, your control. You you, you get the control much more in a can when it leaves. Uh, yeah, but I mean, that control comes from us. Yeah. Um, it's not just a magic container that protects your beer. If you don't put it in right and treat it right from the moment your customer gets it, mm-hmm. any number of things can go wrong, which it can be attested by grabbing any random beer off the shelf anywhere and trying it and, and letting the disappointment settle in as you... <laughs> try to get through it you know so there are people that there are breweries that do it well and there are breweries that don't do it so well you know so but for us with what we were trying to accomplish i mean it achieved all the obvious things the no broken glass was probably the biggest thing you know when the summer before we uh had done that we were at one of our favorite swimming holes right up the road here at Foster's. And just a perfect, beautiful day. And we've got our son. He's probably, you know, he's 13 now. Jeez, he was, you know, six, something like that then. And we're going to swim. And there on the far side of the river, on the rocks, some asshole had thrown a bottle of beer. And it was obliterated on the stones. I mean, just sh- hundreds of shards of sharp glass. Not just like yeah. a, five pieces of broken glass. Shattered. And it's like, oh my God, this will never go away. Like there's dogs and yeah. kids and it's, someone's going to step right here and go to the emergency room. You know, So I sat there, the two of us, mostly me because he's off swimming. So I sat there. It took me probably an hour to get to every piece up. of glass I could find out of that rock. And it was like, Jen, that we cannot do that. If that was Hetty Topper, yeah, you'd feel it would like break shit. my heart, you know? So the can was the big thing for that. And then the obvious things, the protection from the light, the ability to get a low dissolved oxygen in it when you're packaging it properly, the, the infinite recyclability if people actually take it back to the redemption center and put it back into the loop. Um, so a lot of those things and there just wasn't anything like it how long did it take you dial, to dial in the cans the way you wanted them as far as getting them oh in, gosh in, in. I mean we still make tweaks to, yeah. to optimize stuff it never ends but all the heavy lifting took every bit of a year until you just figure it out and learn what you're doing and 
actually having the money to invest in a dissolved oxygen meter where you're not guessing anymore yeah. where you get a quantifiable number here's the number there's no denying it what do we have to do to change it so you know i mean it was at least a year before we could even afford that piece of equipment you know so once you have those tools then you know then we just we crushed it you know i mean literally and figuratively yeah um go back a bit you're talking about the you know ipas that get off the shelf and the ones that have been sitting there um how are you dealing with that now your beer is starting to get out there and be a bit more distributed not just by you um you know i see it in new york city uh philly couple of areas like yep. that where, where it's sitting how do you separate yourself from getting it into unknown hands well uh, that's a that is a challenge we uh we do those drops like once a year mm -hmm. twice a year maybe we'll send a half a dozen pallets to a market like that mm -hmm. to philly um it is constant work with that end of things um with them understanding our needs and our requirements um and then us doing our part um ensuring that it is there perfect and cold we take care of all that we know that it is immediately into a cooler on a thursday and on a monday it's all out to the accounts yeah we have harassed them to tell their salesmen and their delivery men what has to be done we put labels on the cases to as that last ditch effort toward the retailer that might have no idea whatsoever yeah. um and we rely on the fact that only sending six pallets of beer to the city of Philadelphia once, maybe twice a year. It's not going to sit. It takes shelves. care of itself. Yeah. yeah. Because it's a this special little treat. Everybody sees it. Boom. You buy it. And then the next day you come back. It's like, no, nope, it's gone. You know, so that kind of takes care of itself as well. But we don't do it in the summer, you know. Yeah. We do it on our two really slow shoulder seasons. Okay. You know, mud season, stick season. <laughs> <laughs> In between uh, winter and summer, you're yeah. saying? Yeah. yeah. And so our, you know, I mean, that is, you're talking about out of 18,000 barrels of beer we make, you're talking about, you know, 100 maybe get distributed, 200 maybe. I mean, I'm just guessing at numbers, but it's that small of a fraction. So it's small enough that we can put our laser focus on it and make sure that it's done properly and uh and and it's gone poof you know heady um that's i mean you know it's pretty much the beer that started it all i guess for a lot of the new england style stuff um but if you talk to a lot of people today they they won't call it a new england style ipa People, uh, well, what New England style IPA is now, I wouldn't call it that either. But it, but it you is, know? isn't it? I mean, it really, um, if you think about it, in the core absolutely, sense of it, absolutely, it's the quintessential. Absolutely, I don't deny that. But I feel that uh, that what a lot of people now associate with New England IPA is not what we do. Um, I feel like ninety five percent of what I've ever tried called New England IPA to me. <laughs> just doesn't um doesn't hit the mark with my palate 
I find almost all of them to be um, overly soft and chalky mm-hmm. and full of chloride and uh, and nothing quenching or, or, or um, quaffable about it. You know, if I have to showy, struggle... Very showy. Well, if I have to and, struggle and through yeah. a can, how good is it? You know, I don't... Whatever. It can smell amazing, and most of them do. And I'll smell it and be like, all right, maybe this is the one. And, you go and then there. I taste it, and the first sip, maybe. You know, yeah. sometimes, most times it's like, ugh, nope, yeah. you know. Sometimes I'll drink one and be like, okay, maybe, maybe. Yeah. But then I get that second, third sip, and by that time, it's like, nah. But, like, what's it like to live from people won't buy your beer because it's too hazy to people won't buy your beer because it's not hazy enough, but sure. the beer hasn't changed? Like, how, sure. what's it like to live in that world? <laughs> it's, uh, it is what it is. It's funny. I mean, it's, yeah, for from the day I started brewing my IPAs, people online would say, oh, it's hazy, it's hazy. Yeah. And so for you know, nine years of running that pub and then the first couple of years of canning it, it's like we're defending that and trying to educate people. And almost overnight, um, then you start seeing things like that. Like, oh, it's not not as turbid as such and such. You know, it's like, but that's what's, that that is craft beer. I mean, that's just the nature of craft beer. And it's it's been every other style that has ever really come into the focus of of the industry it's people always think they can one-up it and make it bigger or more but then they just end up with wasting more hops in a really lame beer but it's it's also it's also a matter of style over substance right it's like like oh i mean all these so many of them the the haze is what they are after Mm -hmm. they feel that that is their goal and that's just preposterous. Your, your goal is a well-structured, delicious IPA, yeah. regardless of, of what it looks like. Of what it looks like, if it happens to have a haze, which yeah. that is—that's what that is. That's a haze. Yeah. That's not murkiness. That's yeah. not milkiness. That's not muddiness. If it has a haze by default of the process, then so be it. Mm-hmm. Why would that be a bad thing? But I think a lot of them chase the appearance which is horrible i mean would do, do you attribute that to anything specific like a, is it a, is it an instagram culture is it a, just a the way brewers are thinking no, nowadays the, is a combination of a bunch of different things it's the nature of the beast it's human nature i mean when in the mid 2000s when everybody started making strong beer that was 9 10 11 12% beer and and Beer Advocate is having festivals called the Extreme Beer Fest. You know, I mean, it's just human nature. If if somebody makes a beautiful bourbon barrel-aged stout, some other jackass is going to come along and give you a stout that's even stronger and more bourbon, and then it's a piece of crap, you know? So it's not that... It, that just happens all the time, you know? I mean, when West Coast IPA, and everybody was talking about that, and how many IBUs can you pack into a beer and people would do stupid things just mm-hmm. to make it so abrasively awesome, awful, bitter, but, you know, just in all the wrong ways, you know? Yeah. So, but th- those things all come to pass and, and it moves on to the next thing and it will, 
It will, you know, it will self-regulate. The more people drink these beers, and we hear it a lot, you know, uh, it's funny when I hear somebody say, oh, hey, I got this beer, it's pretty good. I, you know, it's, pretty, it's, it's as good as Hetty. And that's fine if they say that, but inevitably, you know, it's usually family members, and they'll bring it to me and we'll try it, and then we'll try it next to one of my beers, and it's like, okay, well, you know, taste this, and this is how this is in your mouth, and now try this, and every time they're like, hmm, you know. Yeah, you know, it's they're almost, almost eager like to find something they're, they're, to show you. They're eager to find something, but at the same time, the fact that they don't have it all the time, you forget. And then you go out and you're trying all these other things, you're like, oh. This is just good. But then you come back and it's like, oh, I forgot how good this wow, is. Wow, I forgot how, how good this is really you good. You say fucking know, awesome. Is, yeah. <laughs> you know, I mean, it's so it is what it is. People, it's fine. Um, you're talking about family members coming in. Like how, like, was there beer, beer big in your family? Like, or is it something they kind of grew into because of what you do? Oh, um, no, there was always beer present in my family. Yeah. Um, sure, I can remember before I could even read getting bottles of Miller High Life out of the fridge for my dad. And yeah. the only reason I knew what he wanted was because the label was in the shape of an X on the neck label. Mm-hmm. The Miller High Life label was, and, uh, and I would just ask him, the one with the X, you know, because I knew the letter X, but I didn't know how to read Miller. So um, beer was always around. Um, yeah, I can remember my dad chastising me for not pouring his beer with a head on it, you know, because I was in college. <laughs> it's like, Dad, you don't get it, man. When you wait in line for half an hour for a shitty beer, you get that cup filled to the brim, <laughs> man. No head. I don't want a head. I want beer. And uh, so I was like, pour it, put a head on it, put a head on it. And so, you know, it's funny because that was me at the pub. You know, I was nuts about that. And I, the presentation of the beer is so important. That's another trend I don't understand that I see online. I see photos all the time of people pour beers into a glass, like to the brim, with mm-hmm. no head. Yeah. Yeah, that's a big and thing. And it literally looks like a glass of mud, you know? Yeah. But it's also got to be a weird thing, loving a head so much and, and putting drink on the can. It's got to, you know what I mean? Well, yeah, I mean, I mean, that's anything, a delivery system to your mouth kind of thing as opposed to It is, but it's a, a presentation thing, you know? Yeah. Your salad is going to taste better to you if it's a beautiful, well put together salad mm-hmm. instead of just boom, 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 utilitarian yeah. eating a salad. You know, I mean, there's, there's something about that presentation that is so important. And when you're in a pub, that's everything. When that beer hits your table, how disappointing is it when you're out and you order a beer and it comes to your table and there's a half inch of empty space and lace on your glass yeah, you and missed, a flat missed, beer and it's like experience. this was sitting I, I watched the bartender pour it and it sat there and slowly died until you finally came and brought it to me it's like I didn't ever want to cut like if I ever saw beers going out less than perfect I would like stop and make them pour it over because that's that's everything you know I mean and the years of training just to train a staff to understand 
the importance of that, you know? Make the mixed drinks first. <laughs> pour the beers at the last second. How many times do you see that? They pour all the beers, and then they go and make four mixed drinks, and the beers just sit there and die and die and die and die. There was a, there was a level of disrespect to beer. Yeah. That what needed to be corrected, you know. It's been a that's been a thing for a very long time, though. Beer yeah. has been disrespected, yeah. At the, you know at that end level, um, serving to the customer for God, forever. forever. Sure, it's because it's a common drink. It's yeah. a it's a working person's drink, which is one of the reasons we loved being in the can to put a world class, amazing beer in such a common container, mm-hmm. and yet it's perfect and utilitarian and does exactly what you need it to do you know to get rid of that stigma and uh you sure see ipas in 16 ounce can four packs now don't you you yeah, know? I don't know. I don't, never. Yeah. yeah, it's insane. <laughs> They're hard to find. Oh my god. <laughs> and almost at a point where it seems like a lot of the bigger um, companies, like uh, you know, you're getting into macro companies, are trying to kind of oh. fake fake the sticker can trend at this point and try to sell yeah. sell some stuff. Yeah. You know, I tell you that you know, and Jen and I talk about stuff like that. You know, because it's it really is a crazy thing um, to have influence like that. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, simple things like when we wrote on the can, "Don't be a d bag, recycle this can." Never did you ever read on a can anything other than "Please recycle." Yeah. And now you cannot. It is you'll be hard pressed to find a craft beer that doesn't have some kind of little jingle, little jab, or, there, or, a little something, jab like yeah. or something like that, and. When we were traveling a, a month or so ago, we were walking through the airport and there was a sign outside of like a TGI Fridays or something like that. And it's their little, you know, it's their teaser poster <laughs> that has their food and their beers and everything. And what is right up front but a hazy IPA? You know, I mean, that is insane. That's insane. That used to just be a clear beer. Mm-hmm. And it was beer, you know. Now, the hazy beer has taken to that point where it is now just everywhere in mass marketing. Like it's an assumed thing. When you look through magazines, you'll notice it. It's like, oh, look, you know. It's it's crazy. I mean, you know, same thing with you. You know, you getting into beer so early. I mean, if you bumped into somebody at a random bar or restaurant who was into beer, you're like, wow, I met somebody who's unique. And you know, back in yeah. Around 2000, but nowadays you could be sitting at Applebee's, yeah. and, and the person next to you might be talking about the beer they ordered and yeah. where they're going to go get beer and stuff like that. The, the 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 shift has changed, and it seems like so many people are so new to beer, and and, and hops are very. I don't want to say what's the word polarizing, but very likable thing. People love hops. You know what oh, I mean? So gosh, it's it's, sure. it's, it, it, it's it's a crazy thing to see how many people are getting the beers into hazy stuff, but at the same time, hops are always evolving and changing and stuff. How is that? Does that has that messed with you at all to see people just one getting into IPAs so big and then being able to keep up with demand and doing those kind of things, but also keeping on like your finger on like new hops? Do you con- are you mm, constantly trying see, to find new stuff, or are you just no, making good beer? No, I mean, I mean, Skadoosh, we play around with yeah. with different hops, and that's our our outlet for that and mm-hmm. to try different things. Um, no, because really it comes down to how good of a brewer you are. 
the hop variety, it might be interesting to a certain percentage of beer drinkers. Mm-hmm. But most people that end up with a can of this, they don't know that that's a different variety of hops in there than some other version of this. Mm-hmm. They judge it by what they taste and, and is it a good beer, you know? Um, but the, the popularity of IPA, it's, of course. I mean, that's why, that's why Jen and I started doing what we were doing. We, we had that need as beer drinkers. When I was brewing at the Vermont Pub and Brewery, I could fulfill that need for myself. Mm-hmm. I brewed those beers the way I wanted to, and they were delicious, and I had it. And then when I'm not brewing my own beer and I'm relying on other breweries to provide me with that, my life was lacking. And I recognize that, you know, I mean, it's just the way it is. And, and we're not crazy that we were nuts about IPAs. How could you not be? I mean, yeah. it's so delicious. How could you not be? It's not like we're trying to say that anchovy paste is the greatest <laughs> thing on earth. You know, I mean, it's clearly not true, but a great hoppy beer. How could you not enjoy something like that? So to us, it's a, of course, IPAs are wildly popular right now. Of course they are. There's something so enticing about a well-made hoppy beer that how, how would that ever disappear? You're going you're gonna to lose poorly made ones mm-hmm. because people will understand what makes a good one and what makes a bad one. Um, but the idea of people stopping to enjoy hoppy beer is just preposterous. What do you, I mean, what do you think about, like, you're talking about, like, it was skadoosh. Most people not knowing the the changes in hops and things like that. The whole you know <laughs> labeling beers specifically with hop, what hops are going in them, or the, the whole DDH thing and all that kind of stuff. You just view the same thing as the haze craze, where it's just a it's just marketing over over just making beer. Um, I don't know. I mean, everyone's just trying to make a great beer, but I think peop- some people are just diluted. Yeah, you know. I think some people just listen to what they're being told and and fall in line, which is fine. I mean, there's a huge segment of society. That's what they're all about. Same like that person you said that just wants to work that job. They just sure. want to do their thing. Sure, and-, and that's great. You know, if you're drinking craft beer, then anybody in craft beer wins. Yeah. Because you're not drinking Budweiser. Um and I'm confident that if given the chance, I could sway you. You know, <laughs> if I could have your ear for one minute, I and explain to you what you're drinking and what you're tasting. I think I could change the way people think about stuff. And I have that happen quite often when I drink beer with people, and we'll try other examples of a certain beer, and I'll say, okay, <laughs> so do you taste this? You know, think about this, and I try not to lead people. I try to get their experience before I ever um, put my views onto them or my opinions because people are very susceptible to the power of suggestion. Mm -hmm. Um, But quite often they get there, you know. They'll say those things, and I'll say, okay, well, what you just said, that is this. And now that you're recognizing that, taste this, you know, and this is what you will taste quite often in something like this and you know it's like trying to explain um astringency to somebody versus proper bitterness 
I mean, it's a world of difference and it's extremely off-putting when you understand where astringency hits your palate and where a well-made hoppy beer should sit on your palate, you know? So just simple things like that that people just don't think about until you put it in their brain and then they're like, you're right. You're right, that beer's all back here, way in my throat, that's terrible. It's like, and your beer's all up on the front of my tongue and in the front of my palate, and that's refreshing, you know? And so it's just a matter of education. And you're talking about that, you're talking about opening here and getting a staff together and opening this place here and, and, and doing that kind of free pour thing, which you pretty much have to. Mm. Like, what's it like kind of setting up your staff but also dealing with people and trying to educate them people come through the door do you a good portion of people that come here I under, probably have a understanding what they're getting into uh, but I yeah. assume there's a, a, a mixture oh, of a lot we of get, we get a ton of people that are just tourists that yeah. just I was told I have to come over here that's like oh great you know I mean so really you're starting from scratch with somebody like that they, I'm sure they've been exposed to craft beer and but they're certainly not there just for craft beer yeah. you know so we get everything i mean you get the you get the full spectrum in a place like this especially in a town like this that is a a tourist driven town what's it like to see that person that came in like a year ago and then came back several times and now they're kind of like in they know what they're getting into when they come when they originally came in they have no they had no idea it's got to be a kick oh it is i mean it's fun when you're here like in the summertime toward the end of the day when anybody really that is there to buy beer has already come and gone, and now it's just people that are staying here, they're coming over because they're going to dinner in an hour. Hey, let's go over there and have some samples at the Alchemist or something like that. Those people are really fun to talk to because inevitably you get stories of like, oh, my nephew, (laughs) you know, my grandson he told me i got you know and so you get all of that stuff and then they come here and they have this awesome experience and they try it and they're like i don't how many people are like i don't like ipa it's like i hear you but try this you know try this because i bet i could name the top three things you don't like about ipa you know and all of them are like these obvious flaws that are so common in craft craft beer today you know i mean it's Craft beer has never had more brewers, but at the same time, it has never had the level of mediocrity that it has right now. The scope, that slice of, of the <clears throat> divided pie of, you know, 20% shit, 70% nah, and 10% of awesomeness is much bigger now. You know, so now instead of that, that, 20, 70, 10 being spread out over 1,500 breweries, it's being spread out over 6,000 breweries. So that, that 70% is a lot of breweries. You know? And you see it shifting now. There, you know, when breweries are kind of where they used to be being bought up by the ABM Bevs and Miller Coors, you see them kind of going under, whether it be, you know, Green Flash or Smutty well, and stuff like that. You start sure, to see the, a big shift. The stigma associated I mean um, Wicked Weed changed the game yeah when they sold and the industry when the the fan base turned on them that is what you'll see now for the most part I believe Um, and rightfully so because craft beer um, I don't want to say praise 
but it one of its um, it it grabs people's loyalty in a way that a lot of things it's like a sports don't. team. It is like a sports team. It it encourages that um, this is my team kind of mentality. Mm-hmm. And if your team sells out and moves to uh, Oklahoma, <laughs> you're going to hate that team. Mm-hmm. They're going to go from your team to you hate that goddamn team. Yeah. You know? And I think you're seeing that now in the brewing industry. And, and rightfully so. You know? There are... There are breweries currently that exist right now that are big, very popular breweries that I would put on a list toward potentials for for being bought or for Mm -hmm. being built to the point where they are intending to sell. Yeah. Position themselves. And so position themselves for sale. So now... um, then now you have to start wondering, okay, well, if a brewery is positioning themselves for sale, um, either they're incredibly naive or they are purposefully setting themselves up for a big fat payday and saying, fuck you to everybody yeah. that helped them get where they are, which is what that is, you know? Um, Jen and I talk about that. I mean, we're, I'm turning 47 in a couple of weeks and, you know, in 30 years when I'm 77, we're going to have to have some sort of plan, you know, and if there is no family that wants to take it over, you know, we would probably end up going with the employee, um, employee owned route. Yeah. But that might not necessarily be the best. So you know, at it's least the, the Wonka version. It's the best yeah. for <laughs> yeah the idea, but the idea of it just yeah ending yeah that'd be a bummer, you know, because this is a kick-ass building that we really built to be here and to be the alchemist for hundreds of years, you know. So it would continue on, but what is the best way to really make it continue on? There's a lot of businesses out there that they don't give a shit if they continue on. They want to make their money and get out. But even today, if you think about that, like you're talking about, you know, 30 years down the line, the idea of keeping it moving forward could be totally different in 30 years than it is right now. So sure. to even plan for the future, you don't even sure. know. How do you even? I mean, they're all just conversations, really. You know? But... I mean, speaking of the planning for the future, I mean, you've touched several times on you and your wife coming from the kind of, um, you know, the uh, the brew pub kind of thing and wanting to get into that. Is that the thing you want to move towards eventually here? Like doing something where you're serving food and all Hell that? Hell no. I know it's the worst thing ever, but you've talked about it glowingly and lovingly um, a couple of times. Well, no, it was just a step in our evolution. Yeah. Um, it was a very important step in our evolution. Serving food's a nightmare. No, serving, yeah, being a restaurant owner is a bummer. It really is. And, and we have no desire to do something like that. But um, it's, a, it's a crazy business. You know, there's, there's so many facets to it that it is super unpredictable. You know, but we feel that uh, doing what we do, which is we focus on our staff. Um, they are quite often first and foremost in our minds. You know, we got 52 full-time employees that we take very good care of. Um, 
because that's the kind of business we want to be. We never lose sight of those bad bosses, those crappy jobs of no benefits, low pay, getting cut early on shifts, scraping by, two jobs, three jobs at a time. We don't want to be those bosses. And so really that was our major goal. I mean, from day one, my major goal was to be my own boss. And I've done that. After that, I now that I'm a boss, I want to be a great boss. I don't want to be just an asshole yeah. that just runs a business because it's just a business and it's how I make my living. You know, you it's can't so be much more you than you that. You can't be that. You know what I mean? Like, well, sure, it's a you mindset. Could be. Well, you, but it's a you mindset. You certainly could be. There's yeah. enough of them in the world, you know. <laughs> but you, you leave a scorched earth policy behind you, and yeah. that's not our bag. You know, I mean, we... We understand our influence, we understand the power of our influence, and we want as many people surrounding us to benefit from our um, good fortune as possible. It's like there's only so much a human needs. Yeah. And if your needs are covered, and then some, I mean, how much do you need? Try not to be happier you know? than happy. I mean, it doesn't sure. make sense. I mean, I was perfectly happy when I was making 30 grand a year. I make more than that now, but I'm just as happy as I was then, you know? I mean, if not more so, because now we have all of this behind us that is our force of change in our little world, you know? With our, our foundation, the Alchemist Foundation that we started last year, we give a lot of our money away because we're... You know, yeah. it's like, what are you going to do with it? What are you going to have your kids fight over it or, um, you know, die rich? You know, it's yeah. like, what a disgrace to die really well. Yeah. To have not done something useful with your money instead of just holding on to it until you fucking die. You know, so. Um, it's sad. It is sad. And I don't, I don't want that. I want, I'm in my 90s. I want to be satisfied that wow, look what we've created, you know? I mean, as those generations go and our employees are having kids and those kids are benefiting from their parents' jobs and their parents' insurance and their their access to education, I mean, our circle of influence is bigger and bigger and bigger and it's really cool because it's all in a positive way. It is not a negative influence. How's that, uh, how's that portion of the show um, dealing with... Um you know, being bigger in your employees in the community changed since you've come here. Um, how Stowe treated you as opposed to... Oh, Stowe is, yeah. Stowe is great. I mean, we lived here for... Since we moved back to Vermont. Um, and uh, it's our hometown. And so to be able to build this in our hometown, that was a great thing. You know, we looked all over. I mean, we, we were looking at places in Burlington, South Burlington... Waterbury, Barry, Montpelier, I mean, all over the place. And again, you know, from the day that Jen and I met, we listened to, how do I put it? Um, you just got to kind of surrender to the flow and let it come. Mm-hmm. Don't you, force it. If you force it, it's not going to come right. And if you don't recognize when the right moment is the right moment, 
you're doomed, you know, because you're going out on that limb, but when you're out on that limb, you better be have your eyes open because if it passes you by, you're doomed, you know. And so, not only are you doomed, you'll realize that moment too late and then you dwell yes. on it. And, yes, then you dwell on it and it ruins you. So, I mean, we have been faced with opportunities that we turned down because it just didn't feel right and we knew what we wanted to, where we wanted to be at the end. And here we are, you know, in total control. We never had investors. We've leveraged everything we've ever owned time and time and time again to grow this business to the point it is now. And it's just me and Jen. We make every decision regarding the business. And, and the, the freedom of that is worth everything. Um, speak to that. Speak to it's speak to the future what are you or is there anything in particular you guys are looking to do here are you looking to shift and, and do different things or are you just looking to keep your head down and make really good beer i mean we've always done that and that's never going to change i mean the beer is what makes everything possible but we like to have fun you know we always have ideas running through our brains it's just our, our nature i mean we have so many plans for this property and just different ideas and little fun things to do that, I mean, that's where we're at now. We just now get to start to achieve all these great ideas that we've had. Now we're in that position. We've got the space, we've got the capacity, we can make whatever beers we want. So we have that outlet, but now we have the charitable outlet of the foundation. We have the property to do all these cool things on this property. The building itself, I mean, we built this place on the interior as blank canvases and when we walk around i'll show you i mean the ceiling panels we chose the material that is on the ceiling panels because that is going to be a canvas someday those are all going to be painted artistic surfaces we didn't want to put wood up there because what the hell are you going to do then then it's just a wood ceiling yeah. so when people walk in and the first year you know there's it's just blank walls and it's like oh there's no lot to it it's like well Say that now, dude, but in 15 years, you're going to walk in here and your jaw is <laughs> going to hit the floor. You know, it's like, I think that is representative of the younger generation as well. They expect it to be up. Oh, yeah. Finished. Finished. From the get. That's it. We're good. It's done. It's like, that's crazy. It's like, that's, what fun it's is almost, that? It's almost like the tchotchkes on a wall at TGI Fridays. It's like, you're, you're, faking, yeah. you're faking that. Exactly. Let, it, let it organically grow into itself. Exactly. It's like, so we opened this place with that. 30, 40 year view, you know, and uh, that's just the way we do things. And then when things go up, we just got those first two murals done in December and they're kick ass. Who does your art? Uh, that, those murals were uh, a artist collective out of Montreal called En Masse that uh, does murals all around the city of Montreal. And it's all individual artists that come together for certain projects. And so we had four of them here and Basically, the only thing I told them is I want um, black and white. And there was one mural in Montreal in particular that I was super fond of. And so that was kind of the influence. And then I said, do whatever you want. I'm not going to steer you in content. I just don't, you know, don't do anything stupid. Yeah. You Give know. them a core concept idea and let yeah. them go with that. Don't the put way. a big fucking pot leaf on the ceiling or something stupid. Yeah. You know, There's nothing do... worse than trying to control an artist when they're trying of to paint course. or draw for you. Of course. And so in two days, we had scissor lifts and we were ready and they came in and in two days did these two, two ceiling days? panels. 
four artists working next to each other and literally talking out the design and sketching it on the ceiling in pencil and then doing it. And so we did a, you know, we filmed it and did a time lapse and put together a video of it. And it's really, it's a really cool thing. It's all on our uh, YouTube channel. You ever gonna mess with barrels? What's always barrels, barrel aged beers. Yeah, I do in Waterbury, the sour beers that we make. Yeah. Yep. Yep. But that's small. That's such a tiny little thing. I've got 30 barrels that I play with. And I would never do more than that because then it's just not fun for me anymore. We're at the point now where I, it's that's all I strive for. It's Waterbury. Fun and creativity and all of those things that I had at the pub. That whatever I want to do, I can do and put on tap. When you're confined into brands and packaging, you start to lose some of that. So we are slowly diversifying and getting to that point where we have six or seven or eight different brands that are kind of the regular brands and we can bring in small batches from Waterbury and and I can make one batch of this every year, one batch, one or two bottlings of this sour beer every year. And there's no rhyme or reason. There's no like, oh, when's the 2019 release? It's yeah. like, eh, there might not be a 2019 yeah. release. You well, know, it, it's like... The beer knows when it's ready. The beer knows when it's ready. I know when it's ready. And when it's ready, we'll sell it to you and drink it. Waterberry, is that um, just all sour now? Or is the heady? Oh, no, that's there? all the heady topper comes all out heady of there. Skadoosh comes out of there. Small batch beers. 15 okay. barrel batches okay. come out of there and any sour beer comes out of there. Um, but yeah, that's like, that's all. I mean, when I see breweries that have hundreds of barrels, ugh, <laughs> that makes my stomach turn. Like the idea of being responsible for that much labor and that much concern, ah, it'd be crazy. Yeah, I'd rather just re have one or two bottle releases a year when it's just perfect and, and it's so achievable. You have 30 barrels that you're blending from and you can go through in two days and try all 30 barrels and keep it log. And it's not like I got 800 yeah. barrels. How would you ever? You wouldn't. I mean, you, you wouldn't. You'd, you'd have to hire You're grabbing somebody. lots and yeah. you're like, oh, throw that in, throw that in, you know? And so it takes all the, all the awesomeness out of it. The awesomeness. That's what it should be. It should always be awesome. Yeah. Why, why do it if it's not awesome? Exactly. And I mean, sour beer. Oh my God. There's another style. Everyone for, <laughs> for 10 years have been saying, it's going to be the next big thing. It's like, well, yeah, a lot of people are going to start making sour beers, but good Lord, you think there's bad IPAs in the world? Oh, there's a lot of bad sours. Oh my God. We just, every, you know, people bring us beer and we do tastings. And when a shelf's full, I bring employees in on like a Sunday. Listen to him snoring. Yeah. It's the life. That's the life yeah, right that's there. That's the life right there. Um, <laughs> so we did a tasting a couple, maybe a month ago, and it was 60 different sour beers. And you're taking half ounce tasters, you know, which really for a beer like that, that is more than enough yeah. to get an idea of what you're going to find in that bottle. And honest to God, 10 of them were immediate. I'm not even tasting this beer because what I smell in there, I know yeah. that's going to ruin my day. All but two, I would say, of the rest were like, uh, mm, I guess I can kind of, yeah, you know. 
so underwhelming. And then there were like two of them. Oh, yeah, wow, we, that yeah, is they a great beer. Yeah. They get it, you know. And more often than not, it tends to be somebody that's been doing it for a long time. Let's speak to that. Like, if you're not drinking your beer, what turns you on? <laughs> See, I get, everybody asks me that question. That is, you don't have to answer. No, you, you it's can funny. water for all it's I care. It's funny because I drink so much of my own beer. Um, uh, let me talk about the beer I've had recently that blew me away. There you go rather than what other options do I drink? Because quite often, that's, that's, to get into that territory... I didn't, I'd rather ask that question, but I, some people are like, they'd rather not talk about it. It's depressing that. to go that other direction, because that's, again, what I've touched on, I mean, I, I don't want to come off as like slamming craft beer, but I, anybody that knows craft beer cannot disagree with me with statements like I've made with the... yeah. I mean, it's rough out there sometimes. So, and if somebody does disagree, they're one of those people. You know, yeah. it's like if you're if you if you don't spot the asshole in the room, you're uh, the like, dude. If you like that beer, you should just quit drinking beer <laughs> or talking about knowing anything about beer because it's horrible. You know, so um, the best beer I've had in a long time. Um, my friend Clark sent me a bottle of it. He owns Toppling Goliath, mm-hmm. and um, I don't know the exact name of it, but it's his. Kentucky breakfast or Kentucky brunch or whatever he calls it. It's his very rare beer that people pay insane amounts of money for. KBBS or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. One of those. Whatever it's called, it was perfection. Absolute perfection in a beer. I try so many imperial stouts and bourbon barrel imperial stouts and it is like everything else. It's like, man, you wade through a sea of terribleness to get to those little gems in there Mm -hmm. that beer was as close to perfect as i can imagine the beer to the point where it depressed me a little bit you know where i was like like it lit a fire under my ass to uh to craft something that is on par with a beer like that it was that good is there is there a certain style you you've tried to mess with you just can't you just can't dial it in the way you no. would want it. No, no, um, no. I, I, I can make whatever you want me to make. Um, are there better exa- Am I going to make the best example of every style? Of course not. You know, I mean, there are people out there that are really experts in in what they do. Um, I would like to think that we're one of those for IPAs. Mm-hmm. Um, but by no means does that sell short the other beers we make because our other beers are, um, I believe, equally delicious. Um, but boy, I mean, when you when you meet somebody that makes something perfect, I mean, when you're drinking perfect fresh Pilsner or Kell, yeah, I mean, it's uh, I'm I'm never gonna make a Pilsner that tastes just like that. But you know they've been doing it for a thousand years, so yeah, yeah. you know they've yeah. got some they, they time got some practice under their belt. In there, yeah. But I can make you an excellent pilsner, sure. You know, um, but that's just you just need to be humble enough to realize that. You know, I am always. It's not like I think my beers are just the best and everyone else's is shit. I am more than anybody so eager to find beers that I love and that I can champion and talk about. I wish I found more. Don't we all? Yeah. Yeah. True. Thanks, man. Sure. Appreciate it. Alchemist, John Kimmich, Stowe.
Vermont. What do people need to know? You want to plug yourself or no? No. Yeah. There you go. It's I don't think you need it. It's pronounced Kimmick, though, but that's all, all right. right. I fucking, I fuck it up all the time. You <laughs> Everybody see, does. You should I, see, ha- you should see how many people. Correct people. I, I misspell names and I say names wrong all the time. It's kind of one of my things. but. Well, how could you not say Kimmich? It ends in C-H. Hold on. i got to show you this picture. Uh-oh. What's this? So my brother Ron just made this for me. This is that's my grandfather on my dad's side, and that's his business. So he um, worked at a, a butcher shop. My dad worked at his dad's shop in Market Square in Pittsburgh, and also in Market Square, my mom's dad, Pappy, that was the baker. They also had a stand in Market Square, and. That's where my mom and dad met, was working down there and just working the for the their family. The way the was done back then. Kimmick's, on come the on, cooler? Kimmick's famous wieners. I, I mean, know, how I mean, great I'm, is that? Oh, I love me a Kimmick wiener. And for, <laughs> for all of you out there that are only listening, um, it's a picture of my grandfather's um, butcher shop and the, and the meat case and the signs up on the back of the wall. And it says, Kimmick's famous wieners. 35 cents a pound. But even like the detail, like the, the cooler has yeah. a name on it. You know what I mean? Everything How about it. How kick ass would it be to have that cooler? Like, where did that cooler end up going? Just put your cans in there? Oh my Keep God. Keep your cans cool in there? Put anything in there. Yeah. That's fantastic. Store bought it. Where did he find there. it? Was just a family archive kind of thing? Or? Yeah, he found the pictures and then he had this old um, receipt. I mean, it's just such a cool thing. And the, the you know, my, my grandfather. On my mom's side, he immigrated to, from Germany when he was 15, I think. Didn't speak a word of English. Had a distant uncle that kind of sponsored him here. And he ended up owning five bakeries. And he had nine kids. Which is <laughs> crazy. My mom was number eight of nine. And I am number six of six. And so I have like over 50 first cousins just on my mom's side. And my son. About our family, basically. My <laughs> son is number 23 of 26 grandkids Jeez. in my family of six. And so it is just crazy. Now they're all having kids, and it's really crazy. My nieces and nephews are all having kids now, and it's just bonkers. In another 20 years, I'm going to be. Old Uncle John. It's <laughs> <You're> crazy. <laughs> You're already old Uncle John, by the way. Oh, fuck you. Don't <laughs> <laughs> oh, believe me. Um, we we got married uh, to, you know, the other day, actually. And, oh, uh, congratulations. And uh, her family's much the same. German immigrants off the boat and a bunch gigantic amount of... German Catholics. Oh, yeah. They love having babies mm-hmm. and telling you what to do. We were, we were married. <laughs> that for, was a big driving force we, in the we, alchemist coming to being. <laughs> we were married for an hour, and then someone came over with a baby, and like, you gonna have one of these? Yeah, the pressure begins right away. Yeah. Awesome, dude. I appreciate it, man. Sure thing. Have you got time. it. Awesome. Thanks, man.